Hi everyone. In light of the January 29th, 2020 announcement that the Royal Ballet has suspended choreographer Liam Scarlett while an investigation is underway over allegations of sexual misconduct, Executive Director Kelly Tweedale has announced on behalf of San Francisco Ballet that Scarlett's Hummingbird will be replaced on Program 2. The decision was made out of respect for the ongoing inquiry in London, the dance community at large, patrons of San Francisco Ballet, families of the San Francisco Ballet School, and artists of the company. Replacement programming for Program 2 is currently being addressed by San Francisco Ballet's artistic team and will be updated on the San Francisco Ballet website when available. Surprise! Welcome to a surprise special edition of San Francisco Ballet's To The Point podcast. I know, you're probably thinking, what is this podcast doing in my feed in July? The ballet isn't back in season until January. What can Associate Director of Audience Engagement Jenny Sholick possibly have to tell me at this time of year? Well, plenty actually. As you surely know, this podcast is usually a mini program note you can listen to on your phone, a way of catching up on the ballet you're about to see before you see it. But hey, it doesn't always have to be that. And today it's going to be a season preview, a little glimpse behind the scenes of what San Francisco Ballet is up to over the summer, and a quick pop into each of the eight fabulous programs that are coming up on San Francisco Ballet's 2020 season. Side note, can you believe we're talking about 2020 already? So first off, I want to start by giving a bit of background. Because San Francisco Ballet shares the War Memorial Opera House with the San Francisco Opera, we only perform there for about five and a half months a year. We start in December with Nutcracker, then open our repertory season in January with our big gala, and then we run eight programs back-to-back until May, usually three story ballets and five triple bill productions. But what do we do when we aren't in the opera house for half the year? Well, first off, we tour. Pretty quickly after the curtain came down on the repertory season this year, the company hopped on planes and made their way to London, where they hung out and, of course, performed a bit at Sadler Wells Theatre for two weeks. Everyone reports it was great fun and incredibly well-received. We took eight ballets from 2018's Unbound Festival, Alexei Rutmansky's Shostakovich Trilogy, and Liam Scarlett's Hummingbird. More on that later. After London, the dancers got a couple weeks off and they scattered to the wind picking up guestings, traveling, and taking some well-needed time off. July 1, the company returns to San Francisco, and then they'll spend the rest of the summer and fall getting ready for next year. Plus, of course, two more shorter tours, one to Sun Valley in July and the other to Copenhagen in October, and a performance here in San Francisco at Stern Grove on July 28. Our company schedule is unique in that we learn and rehearse all our ballets at this time of year and then put them what we call back together when we get closer to the performances. That means that although it's quiet on stage right now, things are still really busy in our studios. Guest choreographers come in, repetitors show up to cast and stage ballets, and dancers and ballet masters are working to remount older works, often with dancers learning parts for the first time. It's an exciting time as we start to see some of the new works taking shape. So rather than take you through the season in order, I want to start with what's currently happening in the studios while touching on a few additional highlights along the way. Sound good? Then let's get to the point. The first choreographer arriving this summer will be Kathy Marston, a British choreographer who's probably one of the hottest female choreographers working in ballet these days. You'll know her name from Snowblind, which she made on us in 2018 and which we revived last year. 
She's had a big year, premiering her full-length Jane Eyre on American Ballet Theater. It'll also be going to the Joffrey Ballet in October. She's known for a few things. Storytelling, often using stories from history or literature, a blending of improvisational and classical ballet techniques, and deep collaborations with her artistic teams who help her shape music and sets to tell her stories. Her world premiere ballet will debut in March on Program 5, Ballet Accelerator, alongside Helgi Thomason's Seven for Eight and David Dawson's Anima Animus. Helgi's ballet was created in 2004 to a variety of selections from Johann Sebastian Bach. The piece's conceit is in its title, seven sections for eight dancers who appear in different combinations throughout the work. David's piece was made for Unbound in 2018. And although both D.C. and London audiences got the chance to see it this past year, we here in San Francisco had to take a year off, so we're all pretty excited that it'll be reappearing in March. This ballet is contemporary ballet at its most extreme. In stark black and white, it pushes its dancers to the limit with huge extensions, impossible pirouettes, and lifts that make the ballerina seem to float across the stage. The second guest this summer will be Balanchine Repetiteur and former San Francisco Ballet Ballet Mistress Elise Bourne. She'll be setting George Balanchine's masterpiece, Jewels, which we'll all get to see during Program 7, opening in April. This ballet, kind of like Rutmansky's Shostakovich trilogy, is a three-part ballet where each part is related, but also completely separate. The first section, Emeralds, is to music by Gabriel Fauré and has a kind of romantic French style. The second, to Igor Stravinsky, is fast, flashy, and New York-y. And, of course, all in red. And the final ballet, Diamonds, glitters in white and silver to Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 3, Total Imperial Russian Majesty. Next up, in August, Trey McIntyre arrives to work on his new ballet. 2018's Your Flesh Will Be a Great Poem was a huge hit, and we expect more of the same from this quirky choreographer, who often works with pop music and blends ballet with contemporary and jazz movements. His works always seem to walk a fine line between commercial and classical dance, and in so doing, he makes his own distinct style. His brand new ballet will share the bill on Program 3, Dance Innovations, with what I expect will be two strikingly different ballets. Opening just in time for Valentine's Day, this program features fan favorites The Infinite Ocean, made by Ballet Met Artistic Director Edward Liang in 2018, and Harold Lander's Etudes, which made an acclaimed return to the Opera House stage earlier this year. The Infinite Ocean is set to a commissioned score by composer Oliver Davis. Anecdotally, when this ballet premiered, more audience members asked where they could find this piece of music than that of any other ballet that debuted that year. Unfortunately, or maybe for us at the ballet, fortunately, you can't find it anywhere other than the Opera House, as it hasn't been recorded. You'll just have to come see and hear Edward and Oliver's meditations on loss in person. Etudes, made in 1948, is actually the oldest piece of choreography that we'll perform this year, but it doesn't really feel that way. A ballet about ballet, this work uses ballet class as its structure, and like dancers make their daily class feel new every day, this ballet seems like it'll never fall out of style. While Trey's here in August, Tina Phelant, a former dancer with the Mark Morris Dance Group and a favorite repetiteur for ballet companies around the world, will also make an appearance to stage Mark Morris's Sandpaper Ballet, created here on San Francisco Ballet in 1999. This is a cleverly tongue-in-cheek ballet exemplary of Mark Morris's signature musical sensibility, with bodies on stage articulating different parts of the score. But not just any score. A score by composer Leroy Anderson. 
If the name isn't familiar, the music will be. As Anderson was the composer of light orchestral works like Fiddle Faddle, The Typewriter Song, and most famously, Sleigh Ride, which Morris uses as the overture. All of these pieces have made their way out of the concert hall and onto radios and TV screens around the world. Sandpaper Ballet will appear on program two, Classical Revision, and you need to imagine the parentheses around the re, so it's revision or classical vision, classical revision, happening in February. It'll share the stage with two other ballets created right here in San Francisco, Stanton Welch's Bespoke and Liam Scarlett's Hummingbird. San Francisco Ballet is a place that really aims to foster relationships with choreographers around the world, and the three ballets on this triple bill really showcase that aspect of the company. Mark Morris has made more ballets here than on any other ballet company. We offered Stanton Welch his first U.S. commission of his career, and our co-commission of Liam Scarlett's Frankenstein in 2017 was the young choreographer's first full-length ballet. Both Bespoke, like Helgi's Seven for Eights, is set to Bach, and Hummingbird's Philip Glass are real showpieces for the dancers they were made on, and they offer two distinct perspectives on where classical ballet is today. But Trey and Tina aren't our only guests in August. We'll also have Nancy Raffa in from American Ballet Theater, where she's a ballet master, to set Alexei Ratmonsky's new ballet, The Seasons, which just premiered in New York a couple of months ago. This ballet is set to Russian composer Alexander Glazunov's The Seasons, written in 1900 as a one-act ballet allegorique and first choreographed by Marius Petipa. The original cast was a who's who of famous ballet stars like Olga Preobrazhenskaya, Mathilde Kuczynskaya, Pavel Garrett, Nikolai Lagat, and Anna Pavlova, and its first performance was attended by the entire imperial court. Although the original choreography has been lost, Ratmansky preserved Petipa's original libretto, so expect to see a cast of various beings on stage like Frost, Ice, and Hail, a Zephyr and a Rose, a Fawn, perhaps inspiration for Vasilev Nijinsky's later version, the Spirit of the Corn, and Bacchus himself. The Seasons will make its West Coast debut alongside Yuri Posakov's Classical Symphony and Benjamin Millipier's Appassionata on Program 6, Present Perspectives. Appassionata was a fan favorite last season, so we're all happy to see it back. Set to Ludwig von Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 23 in F minor, commonly known as the Appassionata, this ballet is made for three couples who seem to be thrown together and apart across the course of an evening. The heart of this ballet is in the central potida, which interrupts the frenetic pace set in the opening allegro and transforms the emotional energy of the ballet. And Classical Symphony, created by San Francisco Ballet choreographer-in-residence Yuri Posakov in 2010, is making its first reappearance since 2013. Set to music by Sergei Prokofiev, one of three Prokofiev ballets this season, this piece was dedicated to Peter Pestov, a celebrated teacher at the Bolshoi Ballet School. Interestingly, Alexei Rutmansky was also trained by Pestov, making for an interesting point of connection across this program. Once we reach September, the fall is going to be full of story ballet prep. First, with Sandy Jennings in the studios setting George Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream, which we'll all get to see in early March. I'll confess to being particularly excited about this one. The last time San Francisco Ballet did this work, it was in 1986, right after Helgi took the reins. This 1962 work by Balanchine to Felix Mendelssohn's score was his first original full-length ballet, and it was quickly hailed as a masterpiece. Balanchine loved the original play. 
He could actually recite large parts of it in Russian. So the ballet sticks close to its inspiration, telling the story of four lost lovers in the woods, as well as of a fairy court made up of Queen Titania, King Oberon, and mischievous Puck. The narrative lends itself to a wealth of principal and soloist parts and gives ample opportunities for dancers to take on featured roles. Next up on the rehearsal docket will be Helgi Thomason's Romeo and Juliet, as we'll be taking the ballet on a short tour to Copenhagen at the end of October before performing it at the end of our repertory season in May. Set to Sergei Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet, written in 1935, this is truly one of the most celebrated ballet scores in all of the ballet repertoire. And this is also one of Helgi's most celebrated ballets, created in 1994. Helgi never had the chance to perform this ballet as a dancer, and so in his version, he really had the opportunity to start from a clean slate and imagining what this story could be. His classic adaptation of the familiar story, two households, both alike, fair Verona, etc., routinely brings the audience to tears. Last, but by no means least, our dancers and ballet masters will put together Christopher Wielden's 2012 Cinderella, which will open our season at the end of January. A familiar fairy tale with a few charming twists, this ballet, like Romeo and Juliet, is set to an iconic Prokofiev score written in 1944. Choreographer Wielden of an American in Paris fame created this delightful ballet on the Dutch National Ballet and on us, but don't expect fairy godmothers and talking mice. This production uses fantastic sets and costumes by Julian Crouch. Uh, magical projections by Daniel Brody, and breathtaking puppetry by MacArthur Foundation fellow Basil Twist to put a new twist, I couldn't resist, on an old tale updating the story for a modern audience. And that, in a nutshell, is our 2020 season. Stay tuned for individual podcasts as we get closer to the season, and don't forget to check out our backlog of Meet the Artist podcasts recorded over the past year. And if you want easy access to all of this audio content, don't forget to subscribe to To The Point and Meet the Artist in your favorite podcast player. If you do, you'll get our episodes downloaded as soon as they're posted. In addition, please do leave us a rating and review in the iTunes store or reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SF Ballet. We love to hear from you and your ratings and reviews help us reach new and bigger audiences. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you in the Opera House in early December.